this morning's from uh, John chapter 1, verses uh, 14 to 18. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of God. So good morning. Um, I just want to welcome uh, some visitors this morning, uh, Lionel and Glenda. Um, over here, thank you for coming along. Uh, they're actually a part of Windsor Baptist Church that Christy grew up in, so um, I'm sure they remember Christy as uh, a, a, a little baby and um, uh, friends with John and Marilyn, who some of you have met, Christy's parents. So welcome, nice to have you with us this morning. Um, I'm just going to get Pete to put a picture up on the screen, and we are getting some new chairs, and we tried to raise the funds for this setup. Um, just, you know, just for some positive uh, encouragement for, for the church family to have Abra so we can have some friends at the front here. Um, but we couldn't afford it, um, but God's blessed us with some, some other chairs. But I do want to say, if you're at the back, um, because you came with kids, but your kids are now in kids' church, um, you don't have to move. We're talking about grace and, and freedom this morning. But if you'd like to come a little bit closer um, as I pray, then uh, feel free to, to do that this morning. But... Um, I'm going to pray as we come to the Word and uh, encourage you to pray with me and encourage you to be excited and filled with anticipation, not for what I might have to say, but for what God wants to uh, sow into your heart this morning. Um, it's okay to sit at the back, but I encourage you not to have a posture where you're keeping yourself at arm's length from God. Um, not that God's not at the front. Um, he's everywhere, but let's, let's be excited for what God wants to say to us this morning. So let me pray um, and encourage you to join in with me. Mm, Father, I pray for us this morning uh, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, that we wouldn't just tick off, I listened to a sermon this week, box, but as, as, as several people have testified either through through small group gathering, through intentional study with a commentary, through just reading your word devotionally, that, that your word breathes life into us. And so as we come to your word this morning, and as we focus on what your word has to say about grace this morning, Lord, I just pray that we would be transformed by it, that it would breathe life into us this morning. Come and have your way with us by your spirit and your word this morning, Lord. I pray for our church family that aren't here this morning, Lord. I pray that, that your grace would be upon them as well, Lord. And I, and I want to pray for all of those who don't yet know you in our town, Lord, for those who uh, you've set, up, set aside the empty chairs for, Lord. I pray that they would come to faith in you. Let us be mindful of them as we dig into your word this morning. And I pray that we would love them and lead them towards you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. 
So we're starting a new series um, this week, which Deb, Deb mentioned, uh, called Indescribable. And if we can put up that background, Pete, no, not the other, uh, that one. It ruined my joke, but anyway. This one, um, we're starting a new series this week called Indescribable. Um, and, and this is a series about God's grace, and we've called it Indescribable because as much as we try and wrap words around grace, in the end, it's indescribable in its fullness. And um, surprisingly, you, you, you may be surprised to know that there's a few uh, kind of Christian hip-hop bands that I don't mind listening to. You can tell from my dress that that's my style. Um, but one of my favorite kind of Christian hip-hop songs begins with trying to match words with the extent of your grace. And so that's what we're going to try and do uh, for the next five weeks, is trying to match words with the extent of God's grace, but ultimately we can't describe it in words that really capture what it is. And so that's why we've called it indescribable. And we can put the other picture up now, Pete, because what I want to begin with uh, this series is to invite you on a magic carpet ride. Uh, And so if if you're familiar with the movie Aladdin or or not... uh, Aladdin comes to the princess and he invites her on a magic carpet ride and then uh, bursts forth into song with one of the most well-known Disney songs of all time. And he says, it's a whole new world. And he says, that's the only line I'll sing, I promise. A new fantastic point of view. And so this morning I want to invite you to, to put aside what you know or what we think we know about grace and take another look from above. Grace is such a familiar word, it's, it's wrapped around everything in, to do with church and faith, rightly so, but like all things, familiarity can breed contempt. We can think we know all there is to know, but yet we still misunderstand. As Paul says, that, that we are not yet made perfect, and so we press on towards that goal. And so this morning, I invite you to join me on the magic carpet to set aside the perspectives or the things we we know or think we know about grace and take a new look. Uh, Steve read for us from John chapter 1, and and John chapter 1 verse 17 um, is a key passage when we want to, key verse when we want to think about grace. It says, um, if I open up my Bible, and, and you can keep your finger in there as well, In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what John, in the introduction to his gospel here, is saying is that there are two completely different worldviews. Two completely different paradigms, viewpoints, two completely different worlds of understanding when we come to our relationship with God two different ways of being accepted. He says the law came through Moses and this this is what we could call the performance paradigm. The law came through Moses, which speaks of the performance paradigm. And and the performance paradigm is, is the paradigm of love and acceptance, one through performance. And then he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And and this is speaking of the grace paradigm or the grace worldview, the grace perspective. And the grace perspective, and we'll dig into this more and more, is that love and acceptance come apart from performance. And so in this verse saying the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, 
the, the writer of this gospel, John, isn't just recounting history. He's laying out two fundamentally different ways of relating to God. Jesus' coming, Jesus' life and death and resurrection initiated a dramatic shift into how we relate with God. It is a whole new world. Ushered in, in the coming of Jesus, in his life and his death and his resurrection. And so I want to invite you to join me on the magic carpet as we explore this whole new world of grace. But before we can do that, we need to understand the world we live in and the perspective that our minds are shaped with. See, our minds are shaped with the performance paradigm perspective. And and this is the way that the world operates. The, The world operates based upon the performance paradigm, based upon this idea that acceptance and love are based on your performance, or how well you do, or on your behavior. That's what I mean by performance. And this is actually how God shaped the world to be. If you've read through Genesis, you might recall the story of Cain and Abel, uh, Adam and Eve's first two sons, and they they both offered an offering um, to the Lord, and and, um, one was accepted and one wasn't. Um, and, and, And we kind of have had a thousand million different interpretations of why that might be the case and and I tend to think that it's actually about not so much the offering but the behavior of the two people around that and outside that but but what God says to Cain was when he was upset and angry he says why are you angry and in Genesis 4 7 he says if you do what is right you will be accepted And so God has shaped the world, He created the world based on a performance paradigm, on a a paradigm in which if you do well, if you do right, and don't do what is not right, you will be loved and you will be accepted. And then so as we've we've said in in John 1.17, John reminds his readers that the law came through Moses. And so the, the law was given to the people of Israel through, through Moses. And, and this just details the performance requirements to be loved and accepted by God. Uh, the law just sets out in code, in black and white, the requirements of the performance paradigm. And the law wasn't just about being accepted by God, about being loved by God. The, the law was actually about the, the means of being loved and accepted within the community of God's people. And see, if you didn't follow the law, you weren't just rejected by God. You were, so much of it was around being put outside of fellowship with the community. And so the law codifies not just acceptance from God, but acceptance with one another. And so the performance paradigm is the natural shape of the world. You may have heard of a word called meritocracy, which means, you know, success based on merit, on on how well you do things. And in our world, that's spoken of as the ideal, as opposed to an aristocracy uh, where, where those who are born into wealth get to succeed the most and as opposed to a monarchy and and things like that a a, a meritocracy a a a world in which those who do well are the ones that succeed is spoken of as the ideal way the world should be 
And, and so uh, we are trained by our experience to see the world through the lens of the performance paradigm. So much so that, that our brains struggle, our minds struggle to see even grace not through that lens. We're shaped by our experience in things like the joy of our parents when we smile, when we're little babies smiling at our parents and that excites us and and we learn very quickly, if I curl up the ends of my mouth, I get attention and excitement. And that's, that's the way the world is shaped to be. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. We go to school and and. We get given reports based upon our performance. We do well if we perform well. In our, in our work worlds, our, our job advancement and our remuneration is based on our performance. At least in an ideal workplace it is. Sometimes you may have seen someone in your workplace kind of promoted and you're like, that's not purely based upon performance. I'm not sure what it base is based upon. But we learn and we are so shaped with this idea, if I behave appropriately, I'll be accepted and loved and promoted. And that's the way the world is and has been shaped to be by God. But the, the problem with the performance paradigm is that no human performance will ever be good enough to be loved and accepted by God. In Isaiah 64.6, it says, All our righteous acts are filthy rags. Even our attempts at performing well enough for God are filthy rags. Disgusting garbage. Abominable. It's hard to translate in English without using profane words to describe the, the, the weight of the Hebrew words here. Even our attempts to perform well enough for God are disgustingly hopelessly falling short. And so in Romans chapter 3.20, Paul says, No one will be made righteous, and righteousness is the requirement to be accepted and loved by God. No one will be made righteous in his sight through works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. And so the law is the framework of, of, of how we behave to be uh, accepted by God. But as Paul elaborates on through all his letters, the law merely shows us how far short we fall. And so the problem with the performance paradigm is that it doesn't win us love and acceptance by God. And so uh, Abraham at Bros and Bibles, um, our, our, our guys' life group at the pub every second Monday night, um, was reminding us of the promise of God in the new covenant, of the new covenant in Jeremiah. That, that this performance paradigm was never going to win us love and acceptance by God, but God loved us anyway, and so God promised a new way. That there would be a new covenant, not like the old. And, and so that's where in Jesus we arrive at grace, but we first need to understand the world that has shaped our thinking so that we can understand that grace is a whole new world. It is not just a bolt-on. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus, and that is a fundamental seismic shift in how we relate to God. The Greek uh, word for grace is charis, 
which in Latin gets translated gracia. Gratia. Which we get our English word grace. But this Greek word charis is used in a a whole bunch of different ways through your New New Testament. And we'll explore some of these over the next few weeks. But the fundamental foundational thing about this word charis, the key characteristic of it is it's always associated with with a free and undeserved gift. Grace is never, ever earned or deserved. It is given freely. Grace is based upon who the giver is, not on who the receiver is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For it is by grace, that word charis, this free undeserved gift that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God even the faith that we require to place in God to be saved is a free gift from God as well it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast Uh, we could translate the words for not by works as not by your own performance not by your own behavior, not by the things that you've done. So grace equals salvation and it equals love and acceptance apart from performance. Grace equals love and acceptance apart from your behavior. Grace equals love and acceptance apart from whatever you have done to please God. Grace equals love and acceptance apart from all the ways that you've failed God and fallen short. Grace equals love and acceptance apart from performance. And so grace is the antithesis of the performance paradigm. Grace is the exact opposite of the performance paradigm that has shaped the way we think about everything. Grace and performance are like oil and water. They will not mix. They don't go together Except oil and water do go together in something called an emulsion. Who knows what an emulsion is? Yeah, Abraham does. My, my favorite, most tasty emulsion um, is hollandaise sauce. Um, an emulsion is where you force two liquids that don't mix into solution with one another, uh, either through using heat or, or different techniques or whisking it. And, and mayonnaise is an emulsion and, and, and lots of different things that, that are, are fattening and tasty are emulsions. And, and so what we often do in our mind is we, we, grace and the performance paradigm are exact opposites. They don't go together, but in our mind and in our hearts, we whisk them together until they, they are one solution that wasn't meant to be together. We are so shaped by the performance paradigm, we, we, we try and force it into solution with grace. Or in other words, we seek to bolt grace on to the performance paradigm, but it's an incompatible part. Or for the more tech-minded, we seek to install the program of grace onto the operating system of performance, but it's incompatible with that software. We force grace and performance to coexist in the way we understand our relationship with God. And so 
We think of things like we're saved by grace, but then we try and continue our relationship based on performance. The scripture says clearly we're saved by grace, and so we accept that, but then we think, okay, I'm saved by grace, and now I better not mess up because God will get cranky at me. Or we think we're kind of almost saved by grace. Most of our sins are cleansed by by grace through Jesus' blood on the cross, but, but there's those other really bad ones or those those specific ones that I need to work off, that I need to kind of get past to win God's love and acceptance. Or, or we think that, you know, God, God loves and accepts me kind of because He has to, because He loves and accepts everybody, but I'm kind of a bad person, so I'm, I'm like, a, I'm like a, on the B list. Like a wedding where, where not everybody could come, so you kind of get the invite a week before because they had empty seats. We kind of think, well, we weren't really wanted, but, but we kind of sneaked through. We, we force grace and performance to exist together when they were never meant to mix. It was supposed to be a whole new world, a whole new fantastic point of view. In Hebrews chapter to 8, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she was, speaks of the old covenant based on performance and the new covenant based upon grace. And and in verse 7 and 8 it says, For if there had been nothing wrong, this is verse 7 and 8 of Hebrews chapter 8, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, that's the, the covenant based upon the law and performance, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, so God didn't find fault with the covenant, as Paul talks about, there's nothing actually wrong with the performance paradigm except for we can't perform well enough to be loved and accepted by God through it. So God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And, and it goes on to talk about that, that promise of the new covenant that, Jer- that, that Abraham reminded us of from Jeremiah on, on Monday night for those who were there. But then I I want to jump down to verse 13. It says, By calling this covenant new, that's the covenant of grace through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. By calling this covenant new, He has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. And so the writer of Hebrews says, The old covenant based upon the law is obsolete and disappearing. The new covenant doesn't get bolted on or mixed with or installed into the old covenant. It replaces it completely. It is a whole new world in the way that we relate to God. It is a whole new world in the basis of our relationship with God. It is a whole new world in the way in which we are loved and accepted by God. Through grace alone. Deb reminded us of Martin Luther's uh, 95 theses, which the story, the story actually goes that he nailed a whole bunch of other theses up on, on the door of the cathedral uh, in the weeks leading up to that, that he thought would make an impact, and, and these ones were just his minor thoughts that transformed the, the world as we know it. And, and at the heart of Martin Luther's uh, transformation and his thinking about God, as Deb said, was the 
the words he would use, sola scriptura, by the scriptures alone, and through that sola gracia, by grace alone. Not performance, not works, not anything that comes from us, but by grace alone. It is a whole new world. Jesus spoke of new wineskins, of a, of a new framework, of a new paradigm. And he says, you don't pour the new wine into the old wineskins because they'll burst. The, the, the old paradigm of performance cannot contain the fullness that is in grace. It will burst. Grace means love and acceptance from God apart from performance. And before we move on, we're going to talk more about what does performance mean under grace in the weeks to come. But just to, to kind of address any niggling thoughts about Scripture that might pop to mind, especially the one that follows immediately after the one I've quoted, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I just want to give a little side note on performance under grace. and So grace is love and acceptance apart from performance, but it's not completely without performance. See, our, our love and acceptance isn't based on performance, but as it says in Ephesians 2.10, the verse following on from those that I read before, by grace that we have been saved, not by works, not by performance, so that no one could boast. Paul then goes on to say in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do and so the shift that happens in this whole new world of grace is that it's turned upside down instead of performance being the means of our love and acceptance it's turned upside down so that under grace the love and acceptance that we're given as a free gift from God becomes the means of our ability to perform for God see under grace is like tightrope walking with a safety net. It doesn't matter how badly you mess up, God's got you. I don't know about you, and, 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 um, but I can tell you that I'm, I've never had much experience with tightrope walking and I would not try to walk across a tightrope 10 stories high knowing that if I messed up, that would be the end of it. But I'd have a crack if there was a safety net that I kind of checked out and thought, yep, that's not just paper mache, that's going to hold um, my hefty body. Um, I would have a crack if I knew that if I fell over, if I messed up, if my performance wasn't good enough, that there was going to be no negative consequence. And so we are called to perform, we're called to good works, we're in fact created for good works, but under grace it's no longer the means of which we gain love and acceptance. We are free to do good works with God, for God. We are free to declare His name, to perform with zero fear under grace, that if we fall, it's going to be the end of our relationship with God. And so under grace, we're, we're empowered and set free to perform in a way that we never could under the performance paradigm. And so grace equals love and acceptance apart from performance. Not without performance completely, but apart from performance. 
And so in Jesus, you are loved completely, irrespective of your performance or behavior. Let me say that again. In Jesus, you are loved completely, irrespective, apart from your performance or your behavior, be that good or bad. In Jesus, you are completely accepted, regardless of your performance. And so we need to understand how we are shaped by the performance paradigm so we can separate our understanding of grace from it. So that we can separate the way that we understand our relationship with God from performance completely. We need to let the oil of grace separate out of its emulsion with performance. See, if you leave your hollandaise sauce to sit long enough, it will get all gross, but the, the oil will separate out from the water. And so we need to allow our understanding of performance to separate out from the goodness of grace. We need to unbolt our grace, our understanding of grace from the performance paradigm. Because grace cannot be installed upon the operating system of performance. It is its own operating system. You cannot, well you can, but you're not supposed to install Windows on a Mac. You cannot install, I should have gone the other way around, you cannot install Mac operating system on a Windows machine. It is a whole different operating system that functions in a much better and more beautiful way. <laughs> Just like grace is a whole different operating system that operates in a much more better and more beautiful way that frees us to perform. If, if I've lost you on the Mac thing, <laughs> come back to, to grace. <laughs> grace is its own operating system. Grace is a whole new world. It is a new, fantastic point of view. And so we begin with Aladdin. And don't put the next picture up yet, Pete. I'm going to get there. Uh, but I, I just want to say, who knows the significant event that happened on the 3rd of September in 1967? 1967. 3rd of September, 1967. It didn't happen in this country, so that's... A little bit challenging. It, it was a day called H-Day in Sweden. Um, H stands for Hogger Traffic, which in English equals right traffic. H-Day was the day that Sweden switched from driving on the left-hand side of the road to driving on the right-hand side of the road to bring themselves into alignment with the rest of Europe um, and so that they could um, sell cars, their, their lovely Volvos, and they could uh, import cars that um, didn't have to be driven on the wrong side of the road for their manufacturer. And so H-Day was the day that they made this dramatic shift from, from driving on the left-hand side of the road to the right-hand side of the road. And so you can put that picture up now, Peter. This is kind of the day that happened. And, and so what they did was at 4.50 a.m., everybody, regardless of where you were, had to stop driving. They just had to stop. And then a few minutes later, they had to drive their car across to the other side of the road. And a full 10 minutes later, so at 5 a.m., 
they, they were to start driving now on the right-hand side of the road. They had to first stop. You can imagine the horror that it would have been if at, at 5 a.m. just on that moment you had to all of a sudden be driving from the left across to the right and you had to make this kind of instantaneous swerve the number of head-on collisions that would have happened. And so this gives us a picture of what we need to do to separate ourselves from the, the, the performance paradigm. We are so used to driving on the performance paradigm side of the road, the first thing we need to do at the start of this, this series on grace, the first thing we need to do is to stop. To become aware of the side of the road that we're on, to become aware of how deeply we are shaped to think about everything, including our relationship with God, based upon performance. And we need to shift to the other side of the road. We need to shift to what the Scripture says about how we now relate with God, that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We need to come to the realization that Martin Luther came to, that, that sola gracia, that we are saved by grace alone, that we are loved by grace alone, that we are accepted based upon grace alone, apart from performance. Just like for a Swedish person on the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and I don't know how long it would have taken, day of September in 1967, driving on the other side of the road would have felt very awkward and uncomfortable for them just as it was awkward and uncomfortable for them, it, it will feel weird shifting to, uh, to diligently shaping our mind with the understanding that grace is the only thing that defines my relationship with God. Grace is the only thing that defines the way in which I am loved and accepted by God. And just like the law was also the way that we were loved and accepted in the in the community of God's people, grace should be the only thing that defines how we are loved and accepted amongst one another in God's people. That will feel weird and different because we're so used to driving on the other side of the road. But in time, as we diligently break off performance from our understanding of how we relate to God, we will find that it is a safety net. Not that we don't perform under grace, but that grace provides the safety net in which we cannot fail. So why not have a red hot go? And so I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and, and we're going to take this moment of worship and uh, we might actually do the, the your graces and us, if that's okay, the other song. This is our God. And so this morning, I, I want you to take this song as an opportunity. You may stand, you may choose to stand and, and sing the words. You may choose to um, sit and reflect. But I, I want you to take this song, pardon me, as your opportunity to stop. The first line of the song is, your grace is enough. Our own performance will never be enough. But your grace, God's grace, is enough. And so take the opportunity of this song to stop. And throughout this song, make the choice to move to the other side of the road. To choose to 
separate out your relationship with God from the performance paradigm. And so we're just going to take this song and I'm going to pray and then we'll sing it. But I just want to pray today as well with anybody who is so bolted on in their heart to the performance paradigm, who can't understand a world in which performance, in which their behavior doesn't define their relationship with God. I just, I just love to take, have the opportunity to pray for you afterwards um, that the Holy Spirit would come and, and testify inwardly of the truth of the Scripture that we are saved by grace alone. So let me pray and then let's take a moment to stop and move to the other side of the road. So Father, even our attempts at righteousness are filthy rags before you. So we just come before you now and and confess that we are lost and hopeless and separate from you under the performance paradigm. We will never, ever be good enough for you based on performance. But words could never describe the extent of your grace which comes to set us free, to save us, to deliver us and to give to us the gift of your love and acceptance. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we sing, as we turn our hearts towards you, as we stop and seek to drive on the other side of the road to the way the the world that has shaped us to think would have us drive on, I pray that these words would be embedded in our hearts, that it is by grace that I have been saved through faith and this is not from myself it is the gift of God to me not by my own performance but by your free gift blazon that in our hearts in Jesus name